0: click click the live button that's another challenging thing
1: yep don't forget and we are live
0: yeah yeah 10 seconds already
1: Ooh. so rich how are you
0: good good um all good um, on my side i'm trying to think what i was curious about in the last week we met i think well, yeah somewhere last week i think a friday yeah so yeah not so much time has passed and time passes by very quickly <laughs> yeah so yeah what have you been curious about yeah
1: i also have not much to be curious well, a lot of course but indeed sometimes you're just busy with other things and uh yeah
0: no um, time to be curious
1: yeah well i know one thing i'm curious about but i did not do it yet but i'm certainly curious that's uh, there's a new react course from uh, a guy named Josh Como and he is if you don't, don't even know him he's a no. he's a content creator and he has a great css course and now he also created a react course and because he is very good at making things look nice uh, i'm sure that this react course will also look very nice and i also know that it really goes into like the basics of react. What is even JSX? How does, how does that work? And I've seen, so I was mm. uh, very curious of checking that out because at uh, the company we work for, we, we bought this course. So uh, I guess, uh, yeah. it's good for everyone to, uh, to learn it. So yeah.
0: Feather okay. Geek sponsored your course.
1: Yep. Our course you can use it as well. if you want.
0: Nice. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I remember a little bit from how JSX works from the Epic React course of, what's the name again? You know it for sure.
1: Can see Dots, yes. Can
0: can see Dots exactly. And basically, all this JSX stuff, what's stuck into my memory is a wrapper around um, proper JavaScript functions. Yep. For example, and it's all based on create element or it was based on create element. So basically you say react create element div. Yep. And this is the same as writing just div as the JSX part of the whole thing. Yeah. And I found this pretty amazing to yeah start the course off with that information because you maybe you do react for some time and then you kind of um yeah you used to use it but you have no idea how it works and then you realize it's just um uh, yeah another form of expressing proper javascript and you could write everything with just create element yes
1: yeah there were even people uh, in the beginning of react that, that hated JSX and they just wanted to use the create element uh, calls and they liked that already compared okay. to whatever framework they were using at that time but uh, yeah, I, I like JSX a lot. I think it's great. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, babel is transpiling the JSX into indeed like proper uh, React. Uh, create Element calls and yeah. yeah. But I also think it's a topic like really understanding how this works is interesting when you did a few, little bit of React. So even if you did like a few weeks of it and you kind of know how to use it, I guess you know some JSX and maybe even hooks, but at least you know how to create some components. And then you think, OK, I like this. And now, how does it even work? And then you go to the, these things. I guess that's, that might be, but maybe it depends on the person. But I can imagine that it, approaching it like that might be the best way. Because if you start with element things like at the start before you even did any React, then you might think, yeah, but why? What is this about? So yeah. Exactly. Yeah, And that's also why I think for me, as a I have some few years of React experience, that it still is interesting. And I was talking about this with, with a colleague of ours who also is pretty good at React. Um, that if you even then you can go back to these kinds of basics again, uh, not only because it's nice to know, but also because different people will explain it and will bring it in a different way. Because indeed, Kent uh, also does it, explains these kinds of things. And now this Josh Como also explains it. But they will definitely explain it in just another way, so it can be really interesting to uh, to check it out to go back yeah. to the basics.
0: Yeah, this is exactly the sentence I just had in mind. Like sometimes it's nice to just go back to the basics or fundamentals or whatever, and um, yeah, see how things work under the hood, maybe. Or... Yeah. yeah. Nice, and uh, I also remember from the course, from the Epic React course, uh, something. That's also the topic of our uh, of of today, basically, error handling and control flows. And there was something special about handling errors in in React because there were there was kind of early on in the course he shows a technique to um, yeah to not end up with this how he calls it white screen of death and yep. in react you how was it again that you do it yeah error boundaries was yep. it error boundaries
1: yep you can uh you can wrap a component or your whole app or whatever part of the app within an error boundary uh, component and then that will catch all of your errors and then you can do the handling of the errors in there
0: Oh, my God, how oh, my memory is just, like, exploding. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, and it's also funny because uh, an error boundary is a something that is a class component. And nowadays, we don't need to use class components anymore. And personally, I really hate them. But error boundaries is the one example that still is a class component. And okay. what the people then do is they... They use a library for this, so you can like do an npm install of the error boundary uh, package, which then has the class component in it, so that you don't need to create class components in your own code. But, so but it, still...
0: it wraps the class component into a functional component. Or...
1: No, it's 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 just like that. It uh, this pa- package just exports the component, so you can just render it in your JSX. And mm-hmm. whatever implementation is in there, which is a class component, that doesn't then need to consider. You don't need to concern with that. Uh, You can just uh, use it as a dependency and then yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. But uh, it's very applicable indeed for what we will be talking about today because I think what I was thinking about this week is, uh, well, something I was also curious about, I guess then is indeed error, error handling and the fact that if you have an application, then Within every application, whether it's a web uh, web application or web service or whatever, uh, that you should always have like this global catch-all place where uh, all the errors that can happen within your code somewhere can can all go, uh, like they all come into there like an, at the highest level of your application, I guess. So that whatever happens in your application, you then at least have a place to to catch them and perhaps uh, log them to a log file or whatever you want to do, and indeed render some nice UI and say. Sorry, dear user, but uh, something went wrong. And Mm. then, uh, of course, you will also uh, make sure that errors won't happen. And if they do happen, because you know they will happen, then to handle them at the the point where they will happen. And then Mm. this this error boundary or this catch-all thingy that will catch all of the remaining errors is then just a kind of a safeguard, I guess, for... All the things you don't know, and then in your log file you see, oh wait, I get a 404 here, but uh, I can I can prevent that, and I can make my UI or my my web service or whatever I can make it resilient for this, that it will not happen, and then that way you can clean up your errors I guess a lot by yeah, kind of moving the unknown errors to the to the known part by making it part of the functionality of your app. You can also test it then, and yeah, that, that's a real nice way to. Yeah, I guess to be in control of of, of whatever happens in your app, that you at least know something went wrong because yeah. it was an error.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, JavaScript and errors—it's also like, a, um, yeah, like a difficult story. I would say, um, Rails developers talk a lot about how it's much harder to track down JavaScript errors. And it's like, um, th- that's also one reason because uh, why Rails developers, um, yeah, would rather avoid JavaScript. Uh, is because it's harder to track down errors, h- harder to maybe also debug them. And- yeah. Do you mean
1: like the, the, the clarity of the error that it doesn't say, that doesn't give a lot of information about what's the problem?
0: For example, yeah. For yeah, it's it's saying also sometimes different things. I, unfortunately I don't have a concrete example, but it says something different than it is in the end. Yeah. Or something unclear, as you just said. Yeah. Um yeah. Also I know some projects where you have like you maybe have a front end and a back end and the backend has more of a yeah overviewable number of errors whereas you cannot track down anymore what's happening in the front end in terms of errors yeah um so that's not uncommon actually yeah maybe for me as a someone who's not looking into um react to like who's not working with react on a regular basis mm-hmm. would there be something where you would say uh, would you have some guidelines for me maybe or some some tips about error handling i don't know for example yeah it's it's very
1: simple or maybe not simple to learn but uh, it's just use uh, typescript okay. because then yeah, because in your, when you're your code, you react React, or whatever JavaScript you do, you can just say, okay, I have this function and I, uh, I expect uh, the argument to be uh, this and this type. And then, uh, and then in, in your code, you're calling this function. And then in, that, in, the, in your code, then somehow TypeScript sees them, oh wait, but you're not always parsing the thing that you were expecting in the function. It might also be nil or undefined or whatever. And then TypeScript says, well, I don't uh, agree with this, so you just go fix it, and so you will fix your code. And then those stupid, undefined uh, errors in, in production or in the browser will not happen, or at least it will happen a m- m- uh, lot less. Mm. So that, that's one way of like, it's like a whole category of errors uh, that will, you will prevent with that. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, but and another thing I want to say, but it's related is to just be, I guess, um, be, just be very mindful and careful about how you're coding. If you if you code, uh, like, if you do tidy and, and just think about what you're building, and then TypeScript will help you a lot with that, then then you prevent, like, a whole category of errors and, uh, yeah, testing, of course. So I think, uh, and that's also, like, a few weeks ago, we talked about Elm, which is a functional language which has no errors at all. Mm-hmm. And JavaScript, is, as you say, is indeed challenging because I now say yeah I just use TypeScript but of course it's not that simple but that that is a solution but, but Elm those problems do not exist so that, that for me is personally very interesting. So you don't have nil, you don't have undefined, you don't have errors because the compiler will will protect you from that. The compiler will say yeah but your code is not good. It will not work like that. And and TypeScript kind of tries to do the same I guess for, for JavaScript to kind of protect you from uh, stupid mistakes. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess that that and then for the rest, because you also have the browser, so the, so you created this beautiful app and you run it in a browser. And then still, in some browsers and some devices, you will get very strange errors. For example, Safari, which is the the new uh, Internet mm-hmm. Explorer, and and it just doesn't support <laughs> everything. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, then then things don't work. So it's it is it is still uh, uh, can be challenging to. Uh, to build a good app, I guess, but uh, yeah. TypeScript does help a lot. In the yeah, nice.
0: Yeah, TypeScript seem, seems to be by now kind of a standard. Yeah. Especially if you work professionally, and um, I don't know if there's much overhead to it f- to use for personal projects, or if this is just something also you should do for personal projects.
1: Yeah, that's very personal as uh, as as a, as a as <laughs> <with the> project. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it, because I uh, I also do not use it all the time. Yeah. It's the um, it's the problem that if you want to if you want to try something that's new and it, it's it's challenging, you can say, "Yeah, I will not use it now because it's too challenging for me." But you can also say, "Yeah, I well, will use it now, so I learn, and then it will not be challenging anymore." And that's always the problem, right? So what do you do? Do you kind of avoid it? And then perhaps in your personal projects uh, have problems because you want to move on. You have you don't have a lot of time, or you say no. I have a personal project which I take very seriously, and then you you're going to use TypeScript, which will be like a a learning curve, but in the end it will it will pay back, I guess. And uh, so I guess for, for 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 professional projects, it it is for me personally. I would not be a, would not be. A, a, discussion at all. It's just, just use, use, TypeScript. Uh, and I also have still have to learn it, but for personal projects, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult choice, I guess, especially mm-hmm. when you're still learning. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you wouldn't, def- let's say you're pro equal pro with like react and TypeScript, then you probably would, uh, if it's like, um, experiment you're doing, yep. you probably would, go with react because maybe it just yeah just javascript yeah yeah or yeah exactly it restricts you less you have maybe less to think about you will make more um mistakes but you probably don't care because it's an experiment maybe somehow. yeah
1: what i recently even like uh, realized is that indeed you start like that and what you can do is and i didn't really know that actually um is you can add then TypeScript to your project. So you can configure it as such that you say, this is a TypeScript project, while all of the files are still JavaScript. So they're all like .js files. And then you can configure that in such a way that that, uh, when you compile the TypeScript, so you you, you run the TSC uh, command to compile it, then that command will accept uh, just all the JavaScript you still have. And and that means that you can then gradually kind of move, uh, migrate or add new things perhaps with TypeScript and just leave the old stuff behind and that's a great way to even in personal projects to kind of uh, slowly or just partly uh, use TypeScript and then Mm. that, that and that's what I'm doing for a few projects I'm working on at the moment like personal projects that I think yeah I really should move to the next level of making it more solid and then TypeScript can help me with that and then I can just like optionally edit and and then change only the parts that I think really could use some TypeScript to make it. Uh, and then, and and it's also funny that if you use it, and then, then you also can delete, or or at least you can just you will structure your code also better because you maybe you can ditch a few checks you're doing. Or uh, so so TypeScript is just like testing. All in in a, in a sense, also a nice uh, design tool, I guess, to to structure your code in a better way. Hmm. Really, and that, that, that's also interesting. So, like I said, if you at some point have some experience with TypeScript, then it can really help to, um, to, to start using it because you learn from it and your application can become better. So, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Still, if I don't use TypeScript, I have just a React project, would you say there is something I should maybe tend to do or should never do in terms of error handling? For example, um, I'm thinking of communication with third party APIs. Um, I'm making a call and I'm having in my mind now, um, you can do it in a different way, right? Async and wait or um, the callback hell approach. How, how is it called again? Yeah, callback hell. Yeah. Back. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah is there anything special you would point out in terms of uh, error handling for example with third-party apis or
1: yeah i would uh i would check the documentation if if there is documentation or at least i would try to determine which errors the api will give me um well, which are documented. So, for example, if I would request the API and I would send some kind of a URL which does not exist, and it will give me a 404, and I, and I, I, and in my in my application, it is possible those not found errors will occur because, yeah, the application kind of uh, cannot uh, prevent it. Then I would handle that error because I know that the people uh, might. Uh, well, how they use it how the application is designed, like the functionality. Then, and I know that it can happen. Then I would handle it, and I would give them a UI or whatever the application is to to hand to yeah to guide those people, I guess, in how to recover from it. I guess. And then, mm-hmm. um, so for example, if the the service would be, um, I also know that the service could be like not available. So that's also something that you kind of can, pre- can predict that can happen. I guess that using the app and. So I think I would look at at, at trying to look at it uh, to, sh- to say well what, what can happen what uh, what are like the, the situations I want to to handle um, mm-hmm. and then everything else that can go wrong because there there can also be things can go wrong that you don't know yet then those would end up I guess in a uh, some kind of a catch all error thingy but yeah it's it's a good question it's I think it's a bit more. Yeah. It's not complete how I said it, I guess, but kind of that direction.
0: No, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's also a little bit, maybe there are different cases, right? There, yeah. This is the case where you handle errors that come in a response from the API, right? And that's one case and this is still you have still this kind of a uh, controlled environment where you control things you have the response and it says here's the error but then there's also the case where your javascript code could throw an error yeah right your component i guess um for example for the reason that um The API call returns something that you don't handle well, and then your code fails.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the JSON in the JSON in the response is not structured as your code expects it. And then it will just crash. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an example of a bug because somehow your code, you did not implement uh, your code well enough to, to communicate with this API also be that the api just has a bug and it returns something unexpected but at least uh, it's a bug and i think those things will end up in the in the catch-all error thing you said like which is on the top level mm-hmm. of your application. Got it. so you're, you're you're testing your application or you're even running it on production and, you, you, and then you see oh shit, the, the json is different and now my code crashes and then then you need to fix it yeah. and that's an example of something you are not expecting you you, you have this agreement with this API you're using because you read documentation and you build your code and so whatever you have this kind of a, I, I would call it like an agreement that you, it's almost like a, maybe feels like a contract of this is what I expect and that's how I build my code. And if it doesn't work, then that's a bug either mm-hmm. in my code or in their code or both, but, and yeah, that I think that's the difference between what I said about functional things and yeah, more technical or even buggy things, I guess.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so th- there is not. Th- this is exactly where where I wanted to go and what I wanted to understand. So there is not really a lot of mm, try try catch right in JavaScript. It's try catch.
1: Yeah, yeah, we you can do it indeed, but um... but yeah,
0: what what would be the cases? in the components that you have to do this like try catch is there like a pattern where you'd say yeah here these are cases where you often use try catch um or is it like just wherever it's you feel that there could be something unexpected yeah or expected actually because yeah sometimes this is also another thing right why do people even use uh, try catch sometimes I, i've seen this in the past or when i just uh, started as a developer um well i have no idea about like what the code could what kind of an error i, I really had a hard time getting into this whole concept of um, errors and i thought yeah. well how do i know uh every piece of code is potentially like for me back then, you know, could throw yeah. an error. <laughs>
1: yeah, and yeah,
0: I guess yeah. this is, but still sometimes, I, I guess I'm seeing people using try catch to catch all and they, because they also don't know exactly what it will throw and that, that that's one reason why people would use it. And then the yeah. other reason is you, you, you know that this code can throw a particular error and you yeah you can't avoid kind of that that happens and then you need to catch it and somehow handle it yeah um yeah and i was yeah. wondering like from your perspective how much the, yeah is this happening at all, like try catch in JavaScript? Or yeah, in React? yeah,
1: I think it's the same for every language, actually. I think because I think apart on from home... yeah, sure, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's nice. Uh, now I, I think um, so. If you have if you have you, if you call some kind of piece of code and you and you you think you that it can go wrong you could put could, uh, put a try catch around it also because uh, it is really good idea to catch exceptions as close as to the to the point where they occur so for example you call an api if you put a try catch around it there then then you can log i was calling this api uh, get user with this uh, id and i got an error for example so then, because if you let it bubble up to the like highest level, then you don't know anymore what it is. You have this stack trace, but you don't know what exactly what I was doing, like functionally or then. That. So that's a good idea to do it as close as where it is. However, if you would uh, put try catches around, like you kind of said, like everywhere, all over the place, because yeah, you never know. Then then that feels a bit like yeah, then yeah, it feels a bit like I don't trust uh, this code at all. So I just put in try catches just to be sure. And to me, it feels not good to. To be there, I guess if, if you really cannot trust the other application, or you cannot trust the other code you're using, and and you really, like I said, need to to use try catches, and you want to know where it happened and what you were doing, then that can be a good idea. Mm-hmm. But ideally, you have a like I think ideally you have a like uh, as little try catches as as possible. I think because that means that your that your code is is knows what it's doing and knows what it can expect. And then only then needs trycatch is what it really is necessary because you really cannot trust the code or the people that made it or whatever. So, mm. but yeah, but it's, I, it's a difficult. Also... I guess it really depends on, 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 the, on the software, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's a similar thing in Ruby and I'm also Wary about when I'm thinking about using PyCatch myself, almost always, or not almost always, but it feels like I'm avoiding to do it the proper way sometimes. And, yeah, actually I have a code example. Okay. That would be cool maybe to look at. Um, and get a free coach view from you. <laughs> oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, on my code example, I don't know. Did you? Have, I know that you have kind of. I remember you had a talk about error handling at our company, and uh, that you have, yeah, some opinions about it. Mm, was there something we didn't touch from what you, yeah, usually think about? error handling and
1: yeah no not maybe yeah maybe but i think maybe you will talk about it is about that you you can what you can also do because yeah because yeah maybe one thing indeed we were talking about like runtime errors you know like we are using someone else's code we are calling someone else's thing and then that can go wrong and we can get an error so that's that's kind of something that just happens, I guess. We don't, we're not sure, but it can happen. But what you can also do is you can in your own code can also throw exceptions yourself. So, and then uh, that, that's like a different category to me. I think that's uh, also not a good practice, but so there are errors coming from, yeah, external code or external things. Mm-hmm. And there is errors that you throw mm-hmm. in your own code. And th- Those are two different things, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, but I guess mm-hmm. we will talk about it maybe uh, here, but uh, for the rest, I think we kind of covered it, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. so in my example, I'm throwing the error and ah, catching cool. it. um so yeah and yeah, then there are also with typescript you have also these static errors <laughs> static is it static analysis errors or ah uh,
1: yes, right? yeah, so yeah.
0: In Ruby, um, unless you're using something special and uh, typing, you probably don't have static analysis tools. I don't even know if you have it anyway. Uh, you you only get the static errors in Ruby from your IDE if you yeah have the syntax wrong, for example. Yeah. But you don't have the compile step right before running the code, like not explicitly.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Whereas in TypeScript, you also don't have it. But yeah, there are some languages like Rust, for example. And while you're coding, you're you getting these errors already. Yes. And up to a point that you cannot write code anymore. You're yeah, tired. Yeah. <laughs> It's also something that I heard in Elm. It's similar, right?
1: Yeah, your your code will not compile if you did something wrong, and and uh, yeah, that that's really cool. So and 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 with Elm, with Elm as well as with Ruby, I think the errors are also very clear. So if you're doing something wrong, then they will say. But they also give you pretty detailed. At least I think it's with Ruby as well. That's what my what I remember. But uh, is it? Yeah. But because also, you were talking about this in the beginning, you said, well, it's difficult with JavaScript. And I think you said it because you know that it's uh, less difficult and more clear with, uh, with Ruby, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was backend languages, maybe more general. Yeah. And then everything is relative when I started coding and I saw the null pointer exception in Java uh, every day and every hour and whatever. I didn't understand for a long time what it is and what this thing wants from me Um, so yeah yeah Yeah. so it's all relative still right but in comparison now after eight years of doing this I feel like um, yeah JavaScript is more and this is also what I hear from other yeah people that JavaScript is more more obscure when it comes yes uh, dealing with errors
1: yeah, and I think uh, error handling in general is also something that is not only language specific, but also uh, has a lot to do with your design of your application, I guess, with architecture at least, and, 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 and so also with experience. So I think uh, it, it takes years and years to, and also it depends on where you work, but that, that you get like your own opinion about it, and, but also that you kind of uh, yeah, are able to create like, I guess, code that is as clean as possible. And does not have like try catches all over the place, but just because you kind of know how how you want to set it up, I guess it's a lot of takes a lot of experience. So I think it's if you're starting out with with programming in general, and you'll think, yeah, I really don't understand this, and I just I'll just put the try catches everywhere. Then I guess that's fine because that's where you are at that moment. And unless you're in a team with other people and you can learn from each other and you can kind of discuss and agree on some kind of a way of handling it, I guess. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a difficult uh, topic. I guess it's just part of your Designing your application and designing your code in the sort of Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. I can totally relate to that because when I'm thinking about the bigger code bases, the Ruby code bases that I've seen and Rails code bases, there are different approaches to, um, yeah, error handling. And then within a code base, you have sometimes different approaches to handle errors because the code base is so big. And... Yeah, and then there's like some apps are more consistent about handling, or some are really sophisticated. Um, others do more of the try catch type of thing. Yeah, it differs a lot between the yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because in the, also in this conversation we're having now, I, I have some thoughts on it, and it is a lot of opinions, of course, also. But I also, while I'm talking, I think, yeah, but I'm still missing things, so it's so. It's so difficult to be like complete in this and to say, oh, yeah, this is how we should do it. And I guess uh, you should just read a good book, I guess, if you really want to have like a good, solid uh, explanation of the different approaches there are, because there are many approaches indeed and uh, choices you have. And yeah. So,
0: and th- this also reminds me of one, maybe last thing. Um... Unless I, it reminds me later of something else. But there's <laughs> there also, um, I've listened to the pro, pragmat, Pragmatic Programmer book. And there, I guess you, you could read the chapter there about error handling and um, imprint it mm-hmm. in your brain and just follow the guidelines there. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember they had like a good guidance. the topic and I don't remember what it was exactly but I remember there was also um, one kind of technique that they described was assertive programming and this is something where you throw errors um, proactively let's say un in an unhandled way I guess if I remember correctly, whenever you encounter situations where or maybe in a handled way as well or a mix, whenever you encounter situations where this is your method and this method receives a value, for example, and the value should never be this kind of value and then you throw an error uh, right at the beginning of the method. Yeah. Yeah. And this means, like, a lot of throwing errors and this kind of assertive programming saves you from, yeah, ending up with, uh, at the same time, it saves you from ending up with, like, uh, broken data, I guess. Yeah, I I don't think I've seen this applied anywhere in the code base in a consistent way.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I I also I have seen this it, it is a lot when I was uh, doing .NET uh, before and mm. um, and indeed so you 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 enter a method it gets a few arguments and then you first check all of the arguments mm. and now looking back I think yeah but wh- what if we would just build a function that does some kind of a input checking and we have another function that then uses the arguments but then we ditch the, the assertions from it so it just does what it should do for example create a user or something. And then we create another function that that like um, checks the arguments if they are valid. And if not, it will just give a, a res- result back. It will just say, sorry, these, these values are not valid. And then the UI or the response of the web service could just tell them, OK, sorry, it's not valid. And if it is valid, you go on, then you call the next function, which does the actual work, which creates the user. And what the user does is it only creates the user. So you have like a single responsibility, that each function has its own responsibility. Input checking, mm-hmm. creating a user. And what you can do then is you can test it. So you can say, okay, I'm going to test now. I create an integration test. I call I call my, my service or I input things in the form. And then uh, I, I, my test will say that uh, we'll check them if indeed I get useful errors back. And if everything goes well, I will I will test that uh, uh, the user is being created, for example. Mm. And then, then you have a really nice responsibility uh, uh, separation. You don't throw any exceptions because... A input check uh, function will just give you a meaningful result. It's not an exception. It's just because exceptions are for things that are broken, that are wrong, that are like, oh, no. But input checking is just doing work, I guess, input checking. And then the other thing will just do its work and create a user. And then you don't need any exceptions because you you, you designed your code in such a way that it just does what it expects it to do. And... Mm-hmm so and not saying that assertion is not good but i don't like it i don't like the the fact that 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 if someone enters a name that's too long that it's an exception i mean that's not bad it's not it's not i mean if your hard disk crashes and, and your your application will throw an error because the whole hard disk has crashed then okay yeah that that's an error that's really a problem but but input checking or creating stuff is not Those are not exceptions, so yeah, I I think I would design my application in such a way. But yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and this goes a little bit into the direction of the code example that I have, but it's also it also reminds me, actually, (laughs) I thought so, yeah, about the situation where I had a an object, and this object. I need to instantiate this object. And to instantiate this object, I had various parameters, let's say four. And each of these parameters uh, could have different values. And then I Googled <laughs> and I wondered like, what's a good way to instantiate an object? Um, in the, should, like, should I raise? when I get like bad uh, input or, or what should I do there? I consulted Google basically. And then there was one guy and I went with this approach. He said, whatever um, puts your object in an invalid state, there you should erase. And whatever is recoverable there, there you shouldn't. And and then yeah, I, I put probably in an asperative way of programming, I've put a lot of um, uh, raises in the beginning of the initializer and referred then also to my reviewers to that post because my reviewer said yeah we don't do this so much in ruby like raising right at the beginning and like we do duck typing and stuff like that and i said here that's the article <laughs> that's the yeah, yeah. reference and we agreed in the end we somehow agreed that it's, it's fine to go like mm-hmm. this but yeah that's that was an interesting um i guess situation and you can handle it in different ways. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not wrong to do it like this, like you uh, now described it. I think that's just different, and personally I don't like it anymore, but I remember a few years ago I was also doing it like this, and that for me was also like the way to do it. So Mm there are just different ways, and that's fine.
0: So I almost already know what you will uh, suggest (laughs) for for the code example that I will show you. But no, I, I don't know what you will suggest, but um yeah it's uh, i'm very interested actually in in hearing from you and maybe huh. i thought uh yeah we can t- thank our sponsors again right
1: yeah yeah sure why not all of them right <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just go over to the um, coding part of it so our listeners will now uh, probably drop off but our viewers will enjoy the thing yep And let me think about